So we're going to continue in Romans 1. We're going to complete chapter 1 uh, as we journey on in this new series, Paul's Gospel from Faith for Faith. Uh, Paul is a passionate pastor. He's a passionate preacher, preaching of the wondrous gift of faith to God's people and the outworkings of that. And so as we conclude chapter 1, we're asking the question, what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about the sorts of things that Paul was passionate about? Are you passionate about what God is passionate about? Because it really does matter what our hearts are set upon. As we've discovered so far, Paul desires to travel to the church at Rome. After all, he is a Roman citizen. And Rome is the beating heart of the known world. But for Paul, as for the other apostles, they are now driven by their passion for Jesus and the good news about the salvation that he brings. Paul is mission-minded. Everything he does, everywhere he goes, is motivated by the spreading of the fame and the glory of Jesus, the Christ. So what we are passionate about, friends, is a crucial issue, since it gives us clues about what drives us and what inspires us, what motivates us. Are we, like Paul, passionate about others coming to know and love Jesus? It is our faith the one thing that we truly live and breathe for. Whether passion for Jesus drives us or not is key because it will determine what we believe, what we will talk about, what we will do and how we relate to others. It is this passion which comes from his new life in the spirit which this week motivates Paul to highlight the universal sinfulness of humankind, to expose how rotten we've become as a result of our decision, our decision, along with our first parents, Adam and Eve, to turn away from God. Paul does this, he highlights the uh, universal sinfulness of humankind, not because he has a fixation on negativity, but in order for us to rightly see the wonder of the loving kindness of God in his saving grace. In order for us to properly extol our Saviour, we need uh, to first of all accept and then turn away from our sin and embrace the forgiveness of Christ as we begin to follow him. So let us read on about the consequences the results of disorderly worship, worshipping other gods, false gods, that we saw last week. In order to remind ourselves, we'll read from verse 18 of chapter 1 to the end. This is Paul writing to the church at Rome. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Let me just say, the continuity of scripture is incredible. All right, We, we read, didn't we, uh, at the beginning from uh, Psalm 40, about the passion of King David and, and therefore King Jesus. And we also heard those texts from the Catechism, which reminded us right, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So when we read Paul, we're reading echoes of that scripture. Paul isn't making up something new. right? Lots of uh, liberal theologians and liberal scholars, they'll have a big downer on Paul, right? saying Paul took things way too far. Right? That Paul, in his particular cultural environment as a strict Jew, went way beyond what God intends. But that's not true. That's not true. Paul knew scripture. Paul was passionate about God's truth. And Paul preached and taught scripture in its entirety. Let's continue from verse 24. So because of our rebellion... Right, Because of our uh, insistence on worshipping false gods, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. What a catalogue of horror we have just read. Yet, it is the world in which we live. It is not only the world in which we live, it's the world in which we have chosen to inhabit as well. We have chosen to do so many of these things, to harbour such desires. Yet God, praise his holy name, is a God of mercy, is a God of kindness, is a God of grace. If you're taking notes this morning, 
I've got three A's for you. Firstly, allowing. Secondly, acknowledgement. And thirdly, approval. Allowing, acknowledgement, and approval. God's voice, friends, calls to us. I hope as we were reading that scripture this morning, it didn't put our backs up and we just closed off our ears, but instead it actually awakened us and turned our thoughts to how we have gone astray and how much God has saved us from. When God's voice calls to us, it is the refrain of a loving father who walks in the garden seeking his lost children, knowing that if we were to remain lost for long, we would be in grave danger. Anyone who has or who has had young children knows exactly how desperate it feels when we are stricken by the fear of our little ones going astray, being lost or being harmed. Just yesterday at the carnival, I saw a big, strong, macho father with tears running down his face. So thankful that the security at the carnival had found his young son. The profuse gratitude of this daddy and the clear love that he has for his son, a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. Big strapping bloke who, if you just saw him down the pub or you saw him walking down the road, you know, he wouldn't have any inkling of fear on his face. Tears would be the last thing you could imagine falling down his cheeks. But there he was at the carnival yesterday. So happy to see his son. Friends, that's a picture of God and his love for us. You know, when we talk about us Carrying his image, this is how we convey the feelings of God. Now, of course, God does not fear. He knows exactly where we are at any point in time. God knows all things. There's no sense of dread threatening to plague God. But he is loving. In fact, so much more loving than we are, than any human parent could be. And so he calls, he seeks, he pursues the lost. He is the most caring and gracious of fathers. He is the good shepherd. Seeking his children is what he does. And praise God, he never fails to gather them into his arms. But he doesn't force us to come to him. He doesn't turn us into robots who have a restraining bolt which prevents us from sinning or turning away. God allows us what we truly want to do. Oh, he, he does frequently and mercifully constrain us from becoming the worst that we could be. He often shows his children just enough of their sin and rebelliousness to catch our attention. That when we finally come to our senses by the grace of God alone, we are rightly horrified by what we've done and immensely grateful to God for his forbearance, for his patience with us. I'll praise the name of the Lord our God. 
will praise his name forevermore. May we never find ourselves in the position where God releases all the safeguards. Where he simply allows us to charge headlong into sin. Because that's what we see here in scripture. That's what eventually happens if we push too far our own evil desires. God eventually releases us into uh, depravity. That's what it says in verse 28. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. He allows us to run with what we want to do. May we never get to that position. May we never know what it is like to be fully given over to a debased mind. Because then we would be truly and utterly lost. Let us seek God whilst we still have breath. And while it remains the glorious and most wonderful day of salvation. Secondly, acknowledgement. As we saw last week, the consequences of preferring to worship created things, gods of our own design and imagination, idols shaped by our own sinful desires and preferences, feelings and ideas frequently shaped by the culture around us, or our friends and relatives, our peers. We buy into those things, don't we? We allow allow ourselves to chase these idols and to fashion them as if we were making an online purchase. We choose the colour, the quantity, the size, the aroma, all to tantalise our senses and fulfil what we believe will be will deeply satisfy our longings within us. We sometimes even dare to make a Jesus who just simply approves our feelings and our fashionable ideas. Though God speaks to us through creation, though his still small voice is unmistakably clear, we prefer, as Paul says, to substitute truth for a lie. Verse 25. Verse 28 says, we did not see fit to acknowledge God. In our sin, we harbour a disdain for God. It's not that we are momentarily distracted from a good relationship with God and just indulge in a brief moment of sin. We harbour a disdain for God. God cannot abide with sin. And we, if we've come to a deep appreciation of how abhorrent our sin is, as Paul makes clear for us here in the text, how it offends God and how it ruins our lives, how can we act so casually about our self-indulgence? How can we pursue our idols instead of falling to our knees and seeking our loving Father's forgiveness and his help? Humankind, in its natural sinful state, does not see fit to acknowledge God. Paying attention to God and the clear commands in Scripture is the furthest from our thoughts. When the rubber hits 
the road when we unmask our true intentions and preferences, desires which inhabit the dark, darkest reaches of our souls, we realize that acknowledging God has a cost. It makes demands of our lives. And so God allows us to pursue our heart's desires. He allows us to choose dishonorable passions, it says in verse 26, to do what ought not to be done. These things, these sins are themselves a form of judgment because by indulging in them, and yes, this does include the sin of practicing homosexuality, both for men and for women. But it's, it's not limited to that. We often get carried away with highlighting the particular sin of homosexuals. Heterosexuals, those preferring the opposite gender as sexual partners, are equally capable of twisting and abusing those relationships, bringing the Lord's condemnation upon them too. But let me say, in case we are confused on the matter of homosexuality, Jesus does speak to homosexuality. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and chapter 19, Jesus upholds biblical marriage, the institution granted to humanity by God as a gift in Genesis 2 that a man should leave his parents and be united to his wife. Friends, this is what Jesus affirms, and this is the pattern he commanded. After all, all scripture is his word, and he has left us in no doubt. The sad and often repeated results of our rebellion are evident all around us. In broken and failing relationships, aborted babies, the spread of sexual infections, the antagonism and strife between individuals, families and social groups. And so we receive in ourselves the due penalty for our error. If we spend just a little time reflecting on how damaged our human relationships are on so many levels all the way up to nations in conflict with other nations and the destruction of the environment. It is all because of our failure to acknowledge God. The creator of all, our heavenly father, who endowed all humankind with dignity and worth, who made us to have purpose and identity in relation to him. How we have fallen and continue to fall into an abyss of confusion and chaos. The Bible talks about hell as a place of the gnashing of teeth. Well, there's plenty of teeth gnashing going on in our world today, I want to suggest. Plenty of self-centered indulgence, and plenty of fruit from debased minds making up the rules as we lurch from one failure to another. But friend, hell itself will be a whole new level of pain and frustration. So may God graciously bring us to our senses. 
We can rejoice that his great gift of faith is ours if we are Christians today. He has opened our eyes to see the folly of our rebellious lives. And as those washed by the blood of the Lamb, those in receipt of his righteousness through that faith, we now acknowledge God with all our might. Daily, hourly, we are learning what it means to acknowledge God, to put him and his righteous decrees first, to listen to him and his voice, to come to him daily and to walk with him because he alone leads us to refreshing pastures and cool waters to satisfy our soul's deepest longings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. Let's acknowledge God. Let's recognise his authority in our lives. Let's seek his approval rather than giving approval to those who commit sin. Let us give approval to the things that God approves. Let us be in agreement with our Lord. Let us become one with him in thought and word and deed. Because, dear friend, in our natural state, we not only harbour and indulge sinful desires, but we also give approval to others who do the same. It seems we find justification easier if we're all doing it. We love being those whose approval is sought by others, don't we? It makes us feel important to feel that we're depended upon, that we're trusted, that we're wise. But what kind of approval are we giving? We ought to be very careful about the express approval or the tacit approval, the apparent approval that we give to others through the way we act and the ways we fail to speak out. Friends, the time is too short to say nothing. We cannot afford to be unclear in our communication to others, especially if we're parents of children here today, or grandparents of children. Like well-behaved children, we should be seeking to gain approval from our Father in heaven. Left to our own devices, we could never gain his approval, since our sin has erected an impenetrable and immovable barrier between us and God. Our flirtation and indulgence of sinful behaviour has so darkened our hearts that we no longer desire to pursue godliness. But since God sent his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and showed his approval both at Jesus' baptism and in raising him from the dead, we now know, if we're Christians here this morning, we now know that on account of Jesus, the perfectly obedient Son, through the great exchange that occurs at the cross, he takes our sin 
And he gives us uh, his righteousness. Through that great exchange, we can receive the approval of our Heavenly Father. How marvellous is that? How wonderful is that? To know that God can approve us through the blood of Christ, his Son. All our indulgence of sin, all our approving of others' sin, all of that is forgiven the moment that we repent and turn and put our trust in the hope of Jesus. So what kind of approval is important to you this morning? The approval of our unbelieving friends egging us on to indulge the flesh? The approval of our unscrupulous bosses to offer that dishonest report and manipulate the truth? Or the approval of liberal theologians who write books justifying all manner of sins so that we can pretend it doesn't matter? It really matters whose approval we're seeking, dear friends. Do we want to be self-justifiers? Or do we want to receive the singular justification by faith in the crucified and risen Christ? Which goes the full distance. Which grants us reconciliation with God our Father. Our perfect and holy judge. As we've seen, our brother Paul the Apostle is passionate about the gospel grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is passionate about the possibility of the free gift of transforming faith. Paul is excited because of the fruit that that faith is bearing across the world. Remember he said about the faith of the church at Rome is well known across the world. He gives thanks for it. He's excited. You can hear it in his, in his writing. That faith is bearing fruit in the little churches. The gatherings of God's people. People who were allowed to see the folly of their sin. Who were called to acknowledge God in their lives. And to seek their father's approval in all they do. Because friends we now know and rely on every word that comes from the mouth of God shall we bow our heads in prayer